Let us now go to the New Testament to read from Galatians, the same portion that we read two weeks ago, and then I indicated to you that I might be coming back to this part. And I thought, well, this is the day that we'll finish it. Unfortunately, we'll have to come back to it another time. So let us read, and if you would allow me to add the last few verses of chapter 5 to the reading. I'll read from verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5, and then we'll read through to uh, verse the end of verse 6 today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word of God must share all things with his instructor. May the Lord add his blessing to his word and to his name be glory. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, allow me to begin the sermon with a quotation. The author from which I quote writes this. The older I grow, the more I am convinced that real practical holiness does not receive the attention it deserves. And there is a most painfully low standard of living among many high professors of religion in the land. And not talking about professors in college. We're talking about anyone who professes the Lord Jesus Christ. Sensational and exciting addresses by strange preachers or women. Loud singing, hot rooms, crowded tents the constant sight of strong semi-religious feelings in the faces of all around you for several days, late hours, long protracted meetings, public profession of experience, all this kind are very interesting, are very interesting at the time and seems to be good. But is the good real, deeply rooted, solid and lasting? And that's the point. Do these who attend these meetings become more holy, more meek, unselfish, kind, good-tempered, self-denying, and Christ-like at home? (coughs) 
Above all, do they grow in charity, and especially in charity towards those who do not agree with them in every yacht, yacht and tittle of their religion? End quote. This paragraph comes from a book written by Bishop J.C. Ryle entitled Holiness. And he wrote these words in, can you guess? 1879. I thought they were written last week. What, my dear friends in the Lord, would Dr. Ryle say about the general state of affairs of holiness in the church today? Last time we heard the word of God from the paragraph in Galatians chapter 6 as we understood that the apostle contended for the truth that we are not saved by works, but by faith alone. In other, in any other message would constitute a different gospel, not a subset of the standard gospel as we understand it. He then goes on to explain that Abraham did not receive the promise of grace after he had done good by works of the law, but long before the law was even given. Abraham was saved because he believed God and he clung to the promises of God. Such are all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are children of Abraham because their faith rests on the same promises given to Abraham. But now that Christ has come, now that he has fulfilled the law by doing what we could not do, to receive an everlasting and a saving righteousness, and also by taking our punishment for not complying to the law of God, and therefore falling short of the glory of God, we now by faith are united with Him, and we receive our justification and righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus. Any form of self-righteousness is excluded. Therefore, Paul writes... May, uh, but may it ever be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now the question, does it now mean that good works are excluded from the life of the Christian? Now that we are not justified by faith, or by works, but by faith alone. The answer is very clearly, no. Paul writes to the Galatians, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people. What does the union with Christ mean? If we are by faith united with Christ... We indeed, uh, and if we indeed heard the gospel call and accept that, that grace of the Lord God in Jesus Christ, if we've become obedient to the gospel, what does it really mean? What has really happened? There's something in the Reformed theology called, and I'll use that term, order salutis, which means that it's a way in which we would like to describe what happens is there, a, is there a particular order in which things happen for someone who become a Christian and what happens after that? 
Now, it's not always easy to define all these things in separate time frames, but all of these things happen, and not always necessarily one following the other, but it does happen. And we can, we can put them in three categories, past grace, present grace, and future grace. In past grace, what happens is that God called, called us to himself through the gospel. His spirit works in our life to regenerate our hearts so that we would have an affinity for the gospel, so that when we hear the gospel, we can understand our, our, our minds are enlightened. And what happens then is we repent. And when we repent, we receive from God that righteousness and justification. And we are adopted to be the children of God. You see, all these things happen. That's past grace, if we may define it in, in categories. Then what follows is the life of the child of God between that moment or the time of regeneration and adoption and justification and righteousness and what we might call future grace, when, when, when we die, when we die and we go to be with God forever. This time in between might be called present grace. And that is what the Bible calls uh, sanctification. Sanctification. Now, sanctification is both a gift from God and a way in which we, by the grace of the Lord, daily grow in our obedience to the Lord. And we might call that then good works. But we need to understand this. What follows the first, in the initial thing of being justified, being uh, received, having received the righteousness of Christ, being adopted, what follows that, the good works, do not enhance the grace. It does not make me a better person in terms of God, God's uh, salvation. That is not how it is. But it does mean that I become more and more obedient. And more and more uh, is it that God would bless me, that I would bless others. We are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's, that's true. We are never going to argue that point. But he or she who who is saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and in Christ alone, is now called to live a holy life. We call that sanctification. So, Paul writes this statement, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and if we live by the Spirit, <clears throat> you see, that's past grace. Now, present grace. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit of God brought through the Word of God in us a new birth to make us children of God. And now that that has happened, let us live by the Spirit. We are controlled by the Spirit in this new life. 
And in this process, let us remember, we are members of the same body. Therefore, it is not about me. It is about us in Christ. Straight after stating the fact of being crucified with Christ Jesus and now living by the Spirit, Paul states the conclusion as it applies to the church life as the members of the same body. And he said, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The word boastful or conceited has the meaning of a person who is void of real worth, but who wants to be admired by others. It has the tone of being self-assumed, arrogant, and boasting. One who wants to appear as something more than he is. And then the next word, provoking or challenging, has to do with being a source of irritation. Probably because of being puffed up for no particular reason. We know such people. They are the Mrs. Bouquets in our midst, but then in a spiritual sense. They boast about their sin before they became Christians. Have you heard of people who are actually telling you how bad they were? And someone said, are you serious about this? And he said, yes, I am. He said, well, God is serious about it too. God says he will not remember your sins anymore. Why have you not forgotten it? You see the point? Then they boast of how dreadful lives They lived before they came to faith. And then they boast about how they came to faith. And then they go on boasting of how good they are now. And all the time it's all about them. It's all about the individual. It's almost like we could say, look at me. It becomes a source of irritation. And instead of people wanting to work with them to the glory of the Lord, people avoid them while they can't work out themselves. Why is it that no one really loves them? Don't become boastful and therefore then challenging, which means that I challenge you to be as good as I am. This may lead to being envious of one another, If only I could have the same experience as that person, or if only I could speak in tongues as that person, or if only I had a powerful conversion like that person. It might also manifest itself in the person himself who has become so alienated by his boasting who now becomes envious of others who lead a better better life. Whatever the case may be, let's hear the central theme of Paul in this letter when he speaks of good works. You are not living as an individual in an ocean. You are part of the body of Christ where everyone is supposed to live to the glory of God and the benefit of the next member of the body. The church in Corinth had this boasting syndrome. They had the gifts of the Spirit, so they thought, but they began to boast about it. If the other did not manifest the same gift, he or she would be looked down upon. Oh, and I find it too in our day. I find it too. 
that people would ask you, are you a Christian? Which is a good question to ask. But are you a Christian? Yes. Have you spoken in tongues? No. Oh. There's something wrong with you then. Or, do you preach the gospel in your church? Yes. Have some miracles happened in your church? Like people being healed? No. Oh, there's something wrong there. There are three principles that we find in that chapter. First of all, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. We are all given the same in the one Spirit drink. What it means is this. Are you a Christian? That's the point. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? Yes. Well, you can only say that because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? Do you have extra gifts? Yes. Well, you have those gifts purely because the Spirit's given it to you. Same Spirit. Second thing. The different gifts of the Spirit are given as the Spirit determines for the common good of the body. The parts of the body need one another and no part of the body can boast that it is more important than the other. Oh, I can do all these things and the only thing you can do perhaps is, uh, what shall we say? Um, you know, the mean things. I'm in, I'm in this highest spiritual sphere. No, we need one another. The third thing. The greatest of all gifts is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. You see? It does not envy. It does not boast. I'm a bit better than you. I do all these wonderful things and you don't even do that. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You see the context. We have, in many cases, taken this whole chapter about love out of the context, and we've made it some sort of a... Uh, emotional sort of love. No, it is love within the church. Take these principles and once again look at Galatians chapter 5.26. Let us not become arrogant, boastful and irritating or envious of one another. If we could do this, much of good work is already being done in the congregation. How many Christians live as individuals and not as members of the body? Not knowing that they need one another and not knowing that others need them. Have you ever thought about that, my dear brother and sister, that there are people within this church who really need you? Yeah, it's true. 
Instead, every congregational life becomes a contest in some cases. If only I can excel, and if only I can not be as bad as the other. Very little of service is seen these days. We need to accept the fact that not, not all of us are called to do all the work all the time. We only need to do what God has called us to do, but in the process understand that others who are perhaps better gifted need my support. But I also need to understand that if God did not call me to be on the forefront all of the time, I cannot accept that I may do nothing. Or, even worse, that I consider my part as not important. I find this very interesting that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Are necessary. I could not work out the use of tonsils in my body. But, but apparently it has, it has a purpose. It's there. And those members of the body, Paul writes, of the body which we we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need for it. But God has, no, has not so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, and that the members may have the same care for one another. Care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffers with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Have you ever hit yourself with a hammer on your thumb? You know where the pain goes? Right through your body. And all of a sudden, your whole body becomes your thumb. And the same principle is within the church of Christ. Oh, that we may be, 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 be rescued from this individualistic approach to the church of God. And that we will see ourselves as part of the church. And if I am not there, I am surely going to die. And if I'm not there, the body of the church is limping because I do not give my support. We need to understand this more and more. With this in mind then, watch over one another. Sin is a reality, even amongst the children of God. So, the next verse leads us to this scenario. Brethren, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. This verse talks about discipline in the body of Christ. To be caught out in trespass has the meaning that someone is really caught out being, doing something wrong. So what do you do? 
If you are the one who catches out the other, what do you do? Especially if you are spiritually, and if I put that in, 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 in uh, inverted commas, spiritually advanced. Is it now the time to start boasting towards the brother who has been caught out? Is it now the time to say that you are better than him just because you are not caught out? Is it the right thing to announce from the rooftops how hopeless the other is? We find three principles in this chapter. The first is mentioned in Galatians chapter uh, 6, 1. Watch for yourself that you also not be tempted. In other words... Don't fall in the same trap as your brother. If he was caught out cheating, uh, cheating, making illicit money, or taking out a lottery ticket, watch out. There might be a temptation there. Mm -hmm. If he's cheating on his wife, watch out for the other lady while you are in the process of talking and sorting things out. There might be a trap there. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. That's the, that's the first principle. The second principle is, don't think the same thing of being caught out cannot happen to me. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We have an enemy, the devil. And as I heard last week at that conference, when you become a child of God, Dr. Rita said, if you become a child of God, he put it this way, Satan's crosshair are squarely aimed at you. Jesus said to Peter, and, and I find this so much comfort in, these, in this verse, both because I see myself in Peter who, who, thro who thought that he would never fall, and also because I hear the interceding words of my Savior here. Luke chapter 22, 31, 30 and 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. It's as if Satan, in terms of Satan and, and the life of Job, went to the Lord and said, can I, can I take Peter? What happened in this process? In the paragraph preceding this verse, the disciples were disputing among themselves who would be considered to be the greatest. And can we now see the connection between this verse and, and Galatians chapter 6? You should not think of yourself more than others. And then Jesus spoke these words to Peter. And then Peter said, <clears throat> Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Why would you pray for me, Lord? I'm okay. Satan hasn't got a chance with me. Does he think he can sift me like wheat? Forget about it. The Lord looked at him and the very word, next word is, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And we know what happened. When someone like TV evangelist Jimmy Swaggart was, was uh, caught out with a prostitute, my voice was probably heard with those who condemned him. But I ask myself the question, did I ever pray for him? 
We can compare ourselves with others and then say we are better. Or can we get on our high horse of morality so as we don't need forgiveness? Are the sins I commit really less harmful than those of others? Is it less sinful to gossip and to slander than to commit adultery? In Romans chapter 1, 29 and 30, Paul lists slanderers and gossips together with murderers and haters of God. Don't say it will not happen to you. Don't say you are better than greater than others. On the other hand, don't live as you expect not to be caught out. That's not holy living. The third thing, does, does all of this now mean that we, when someone is caught out, rather do nothing because we are called not to judge others? Because sometimes the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, are taken out of the context. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. We take these words and we say, well, I'd rather say nothing. I'll just turn blind eye because I know that I'm not perfect either. We can hide, easily hide behind our sins and therefore let sin go in the church. But there is another way. and That's the God-honoring way. The way that will lead to the restoration of all concerned as well as the well-being of the body of believers. It says, restore him gently. Restore him gently. This verse begins with the word brothers. We are part of a family. Even the fallen one is my brother. And to him my hand should be given with a view to restore him. We are good at trading on the fallen. And we can easily add insult to injury. And so the church becomes a bunch of hypocrites. Let's be honest. We are the forgiven who just can't forgive. How did Christ love us? How did Christ fulfill the law of the Father? He died for those who hated him. We are called to love as Christ loved. Stuart Townsend wrote a hymn. <clears throat> How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin 
upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I knew that it is finished. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Oh, may we love like Christ loved. May we carry each other's burdens as he carried ours. May we be kind to one another as he was kind to us. May we find it in our hearts to be willing to restore as he was willing to restore us. And may we love to do good works because we would deceive ourselves if we love of our love is not seen in good works. May God give us that grace. Amen. Our Father, help us to do good works and let us begin in the body of Christ. Let us help us, Father, then to crucify our own pride and let us become as brothers and sisters, caring for one another, loving one another as we live by the Spirit. Amen.